14. He was right, Matthew 14. This is designed to bring us right through Sunday morning. And um, Matthew 14, we're right on track uh, where we're supposed to be to uh, finish up. And we may not finish up Sunday morning. We might take this, and if the Lord directs, we may do it Sunday night and do something different Sunday morning. That's entirely up to the Lord. Uh, but uh, uh, it is really uh, designed to bring us through um, uh, three services on a, on a regular missions conference, and then at least one more service past that. Matthew chapter number 14, we've seen a number of things, and I hope that this has been helpful to you. I hope you've got your cards tonight, your faith promise card, and uh, we're praying about these, I hope, and looking at these, and taking time when, when you get home, and uh, spending some time with the Lord. Um, you know, when you, when you leave church, don't let it be done. And uh, let the Lord continue to work in your heart. And I have found that if you will let the Lord do that, you will find yourself making, uh, I think, good decisions even the night after uh, or, the, you know, that evening of the service and all. And uh, that's actually one of the reasons why we extended out our, our faith promise giving and taking those cards in uh, for three weeks was I found that if you took them all in on that first week and never did anything else, a lot of emotional decisions were made, and we weren't really spending time with the Lord. And uh, we want to encourage you, and I would encourage you, spend some time with the Lord. And uh, remember, if you're going to start a journey of faith, that's where we started with Peter. He started by calling unto the Lord, then confirming the Lord's will in his word and by his word. Jesus is uh, uh, meeting the disciples on the water in a storm as he has sent them out to row across the Sea of Galilee, you remember, and, and he comes walking. The disciples don't really know who it is, and Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. And so he calls to the Lord, but he doesn't move out of the boat until he gets confirmation for the Lord. And the Lord, when Jesus speaks, by the way, that is the word of God. Because he is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. So anytime Jesus speaks, that's the word of God. And so Jesus said, come. So he confirmed the will of God by the word of God. And by the way, that's the way you ought to do it today. And uh, a lot of times we think, well, I've prayed about it, and so it must be the Lord's will, whatever I decide after praying. But how does God speak to you? In prayer, you speak to God. In your Bible reading, he speaks to you. Amen. And um, I've met some people. I, I, had a, I had an assistant one time, and he said, you know, I do, I do a lot of praying, so much so that I almost never have time to read my Bible. And I, I said, do you think what you have to say to God is more important than what he has to say to you? Because in prayer, you're speaking to God, but in the word, he's speaking to you. And uh, you, there ought to be a good balance there. And so confirm it by the word and then uh, carry out your part is what we saw in our first night. And then last night we saw that when you do that, you should expect to conquer the impossible. If you're going to walk by faith, you should expect to conquer the impossible. And that doesn't mean you're going to walk on water, but we said, you know what? If you're a faithful witness and you lead somebody to the Lord, you have conquered the impossible because you and I cannot cannot under any circumstances birth somebody into the family of God. That that has to happen by a new birth, and the Holy Spirit is the one who births us into uh, the, the family of God. And uh, I used to tell our folks in Arizona, oftentimes, you cannot coerce somebody 
into uh, praying and getting saved. They must be convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit has to be involved in that. And the Word of God has to be involved in that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. So you ought to expect to conquer the impossible. And you ought to live a life, if you're walking by faith, expecting to conquer the impossible on a regular basis. And then as you're doing that, be careful to keep your eyes upon Jesus. And uh, when you take your eyes off of Jesus, well then there's going to be fear, and ultimately, we said last night, there's going to be failure. And so tonight, we come to a place in our text that uh, is, for me, and I imagine for everybody in this room, if I would ask you to raise your hand and say, have you ever failed? The truth is, if you didn't raise your hand, you were just not honest enough to tell us that you had failed, because everybody has failed, and even in our walk of faith. And so we come to a place tonight uh, that is maybe a little bit too close to home, a little bit too real as we look at Peter walking by faith, but we come to a point of failure. And what do you do when you fail? Uh, Because really it's not a matter of if you're gonna fail as you're walking by faith, but when you're gonna fail. And you know what? I've, I've done this long enough to know this that even in the matter of faith promise giving and being involved in missions giving, there are many, many people who will make a faith promise commitment and somewhere during the year something happens and they drop off and they don't follow through. And what happens is the devil moves in and discourages us and says, hi, I knew you are never going to do it. Don't bother to get involved again. And the devil would love to take our failures and use them against us so that we never move forward from that point. So in our text tonight, we're going to look and say, what happens? What do you and I do? What's our response when we fail in our walk of faith? Because the truth of the matter is, even though Peter's walking on water when we, when we uh, spent these last couple nights together, we get to that point in our text where he fails. And, and we want to see his response to that, and hopefully that helps us to understand what we should do when we fail as well. Now, for sake of time, we're not going to read the whole text and, uh, and look at, at, at all of it. We have been in verses uh, 27 and following, but tonight we're going to look at just verse 30 and verse number 31. And so if you would uh, look in your Bible as I read, and uh, we'll notice what the Word of God says in verse number 30 and verse number 31 of Matthew chapter number 14. But when he, this is Peter, saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Last night we learned when you take your eyes off of Jesus as you're walking by faith, it won't be long before you see all kinds of things that you really can't see. And imagine all kinds of troubles and problems that really are maybe even bigger in your mind than they are at all. And he saw the wind boisterous and he was afraid. And he began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, and he caught him. And and he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Father, would you please bless our time in the word this evening? Would you, Lord, be uh, pleased with all that's said and done? We thank you for... Uh, the testimony, Brother Hornbeck, and the, uh, the, the music, and uh, the opportunity to sing praises to you. It's been a blessing. Lord, we ask that you will now use this time, and may it be profitable. May it bring honor and glory to you, and may we be yielded to the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God tonight as the Word of God goes forth 
And uh, we're asking you to do what only you can. And that is to take the word of God and apply it to our hearts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God so that it brings us to points of decision and that we'll be yielded to those points and places that you want us to, to yield and decisions you'd have us to make and things you're calling us to do and asking of us. And Lord, we just want to uh, tonight do what Paul says is our reasonable service and present to you our bodies a living sacrifice. And, and so we ask you tonight to do a special work in our midst and we'll thank you for what you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody knows Thomas Edison, and we've got lights in the auditorium tonight, and everybody, you know, when you look at a light, and, and, and probably uh, even young people today recognize Thomas Edison is the guy that gives us these light bulbs. But do you know that Thomas Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at, at, at inventing the light bulb? A thousand times he tried to create a light bulb, and it didn't work. When a reporter asked him and said, how did it feel to, to, to fail a thousand times? Edison said, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. I, I want us to understand tonight that while the world would look at those times where we kind of fall short, and the truth of the matter is, those times when we fail, the world would tell us and the devil would love us to believe that that's final, that that's all there is. But I see in our text tonight, and I see over and over and over and over again in Scripture, that failure does not have to define us. It's what you do after a failure. And if you can look at failure not as a life sentence, but a lesson, I think that was Thomas Edison's point. It wasn't, it wasn't a life sentence. There, yeah, there were a thousand attempts, but I kept on trying. And tonight, I don't think you and I would say, well, Thomas Edison was a failure because a thousand times he didn't get it right. We look at the time he got it right and say, hey, there's light shining in the auditorium tonight because a guy named Thomas Edison got it right on the thousandth and first try. You know, the Apostle Paul gives us some excellent advice about failures and disappointments. And, and I really love what he says in, that, in Philippians uh, chapter number 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now Paul says, I forget those times in the past where I have failed. You say, I can't forget the times I failed. You know what? Neither could Paul. You say, well, you just read that he said he forgot. Well, if you study what Paul is saying and you study out the, the grammar and you look at what he's, what he's implying here, you know, there are a lot of people that says that, that God forgets your sin. Do you know God does not forget your sin, nor does the Bible ever say that God doesn't forget your sin? Think about that. If God forgot your sin... He would therefore be unaware of something. He would cease to be omniscient and no longer would he be God. God can't erase from his mind a fact. The Bible doesn't say that God says, I will forget your sin. He says, I will remember it no more. There's a difference. 
What he says is, I'm not going to bring it to my mind so as to use it against you if you are saved tonight. Why? Because you stand justified in Jesus Christ. So God says, I won't bring it to my remembrance. I'm aware of it, but I'm not going to bring it to my remembrance so as to use it against you. And Paul says, I forget that which is behind me. He's not saying literally, I have erased that from my mind because you and I do not have that ability. What he's saying is, I'm not going to let the failures of the past be an anchor around my neck to drag me down. I'm going to let them be the rudder of the ship that drives me forward so that I can learn. So that I'm not going to dwell on all the failures so I can't ever move forward. I'm going to say, what do I learn from the failure so that I can move forward? And I think there are a lot of people I don't think I know there are a lot of people who drop out of the Christian race because they think failure is permanent. Every one of us tonight probably knows somebody who's no longer running the race because they had some kind of failure, they got discouraged, and they said, you know what, it's too hard, I can't do it, there's no sense, the devil has whispered into their ears and told them, you know, I knew you would never do it. And the truth of the matter is, there's too many Christians oftentimes as well that want to be the devil's servant in that area and say, yeah, you're all done. You're washed up. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 talks to you and I about the matter of failure. And what it says is worth you and I's attention it says in Proverbs 24 and verse number 16, for a just man falleth. The word falleth means quite literally in the Hebrew to fall short of the mark. Now, if, you, if you've been around the Bible any length of time and you know what sin is, you and I know that sin, by definition, is to fall short of the mark. All of fallen short of the glory of God. It's to fall short of the mark. And a just man, a righteous man, a saved man, falleth seven times. This is the best part. And rises up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. Think about this with this verse with me just for a minute. Three things I want to give you quickly tonight because there may be those tonight who are sitting here saying, you know, I tried this faith promise thing last year. I tried it the year before and I never have made it through the year. Something's come up and I have fallen short of the mark and I didn't, I didn't complete the year. So this year I'm just not going to even bother trying. Or maybe it's something else in your Christian walk. I'm trying to do this for the Lord. I've tried to serve the Lord this way. I've tried to walk by faith this way. And, and I didn't do it. So I'm just going to kind of call it quits. And I'm going to throw in the towel. Notice just three things with me from, from Proverbs 24 regarding failure. Number one, would you notice the reality of it? The reality of it. Proverbs 24 verse 16 doesn't say if a just man falleth seven times. There's no conditional element to the phrase, if he falls. The word for, at the beginning of this verse, introduces a statement of fact. 
The underlying Hebrew is, is a primitive participle that is used 46 times in our King James Bible. It is never used in a conditional sense. In other words, it always introduces fact. It never introduces a, a, subjective, a subjunctive. It's always a fact. It's not if I'm going to fall. It's when I'm going to fall. It's not a matter of if I fall or fail. It's just a matter of when is it going to happen again. That's the reality of failure. Why? We live in a sin-fractured world. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the truth of the matter is that there are people today, there are, there are some who tell us, well, you don't, have an old, you don't have an old nature any longer and God's grace is, is good and you can do anything you want and don't call it sin because it's not really sin. Oh yeah, read Romans chapter 7. Because Paul struggled greatly with his sin nature. He had a tremendous battle going on in his life. And Paul says, you know what? What I want to do, I don't do. And what I wouldn't want to do, I find myself practicing. And really, at Romans 7, and we don't have time to go there tonight, but if you were to read Romans 7 with all the I would and I would nots and I do's and I do nots and all that, and you study it out, what you find out is Paul starts off by saying, you know, I'm a sinner, but it's not so bad. That's really where he starts in Romans 7. I know I'm a sinner, but it's not so bad. But by the time we get to the end of that passage, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. He begins to understand there's this reality of failure in my life. Who's going who's gonna to save me and rescue me from this body of sin? Aren't you glad that the next phrase says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord? There's a reality of failure. And don't let the devil tell you because you failed, it has to be permanent. That that's it, you're washed up. Micah said this, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Listen, there is a reality of failure in the Christian walk and in the walk of faith. There's not a single person in this room who can say, I have walked a perfect walk of faith for all my life. Every one of us has fallen in our walk of faith. We've all, at one time or another, come up short. So there's a reality of it. And if that's not bad news enough, there's also the repetitiveness of it. We don't just fall once. But the verse says we fall seven times. And the idea you and I know is not just seven times and you're done. It'd be great if I could say I only failed seven times in my whole life. I failed seven times in the last two hours. You and I know when we come to a phrase like this in the scriptures, when a just man falls seven times, it isn't unnecessary. Now, we believe the Bible should be taken literal where it can't be taken literal, but we also know that there are figurative phrases used in the scriptures. And this is a figurative phase that basically says, hey, look it, you're going to keep on failing. Solomon's not saying in Proverbs 24 that a just man falls only seven times in his whole life. Even Solomon didn't do that. He failed way more than seven times. 
He's telling us there's a frequency to this. There's a repetitiveness to this. And the truth of the matter is, the more you walk by faith, the closer you get to God, draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto you, the more aware you will become of your failures. It's people who are far away from God and don't really have much of a desire to know God and see who he is and live in his presence that think they're doing okay because they're comparing themselves with everybody else. But Paul said, they that compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. But you walk by faith and get close with God and you compare yourself with Jesus? Oh boy, you're gonna fail seven times in seven minutes. There's a repetitiveness of it. There's a reality of it. But what's the response to it? He riseth up again. He riseth up again. I said it last night. Fall seven times, get up eight. Fall eight times, get up nine. Fall, up, fall a thousand times, get up that thousandth and first time and invent the light bulb. Failure isn't permanent. It doesn't have to be. You can get up. It doesn't have to be final. Failure isn't even a person. It's, not, it's just an event. It's an incident in your life. And it doesn't define you unless you don't get up. So how do we respond? Well, you know, if Peter had allowed failure to be final it would have been pretty final in Matthew chapter 14. Because he was on his way under the water. And if Peter said, well, there it is, I blew it. When he started to sink, he realized something. I failed again. And if he didn't respond properly, and pretty quickly, by the way, his failure would have been permanent. I don't say he would have lost his salvation, but I'm telling you what, he was going to heaven early. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? Well, he cries unto the Lord. That's the right response to failure. When he he saw the wind boisterous, verse 30 of Matthew 14 says, he, he was afraid. His faith began to shrink. He failed. He began to sink. And the next verse, the next phrase says, He cried saying, Lord, save me. Because the truth of the matter is, the only person that can save you and I from failure is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when when Paul gives that up close and personal view of his battle of the repetitive failures uh, in chapter seven of Romans, I've already given it to you. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you and I fail, I didn't say if you fail. And I didn't say if if, if I fail or you fail. But when we do, in our walk of faith, no matter where you are in your walk of faith, I don't care if you're a brand new baby Christian, been saved two days, or you've been saved 25 years or 30 years or 50 years. When you fail the next time, Don't allow it to be final. Don't listen to the devil. Get up again. 
They say that failure is seldom fatal, but it would have been in Peter's life. And when failure strikes, cry unto the Lord. Tell him, Lord, I need you. Lord, save me. I'm not asking for salvation in the sense of going to heaven, but Lord, I'm going to need your help again. Because that's what that word save is. It's Lord, help me. And that word save has the idea of draw me closer to you. Help me get back up on my feet again, Lord. And I want you to notice that when Peter cried out, he did it as soon as he started to sink. Can I encourage you, don't wait too long? You, You and I know this, okay? We don't like to admit it, but it doesn't take long to know when you failed. It's not hard to figure it out. Our pride keeps us from it. Uh, I was glad that uh, Brother Hornbeg sang what he sang, and pride is still sin, by the way. But, but in our pride, we say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And yet we're slipping backwards. We're slipping backwards. We're slipping backwards. We're sinking. We're sinking. We're sinking. Hey, like Peter, immediately, Lord, save me. Don't let the devil say to you, hey, it's not that bad. We've learned how to dress up sin. We don't call it adultery any longer. It's a moral failure. No, the Bible calls it adultery. It's just a little white lie. No, it's, it's a lie. It, it's just pilfering. It was just, a, it was just a couple pens and pencils and a few things from my employer. No, it's thievery. And Lord, I'm going to need your help so that I don't do those kinds of things. And, and I want to put off the old man and put on the new. And, and I want to walk by faith. Lord, help me to do that. Amen. And when you fall as you're walking by faith with Jesus, cry unto him. Call, ask him to call you, uh, help you to get back up. And you're not going to get back up and start walking on water again by yourself, by the way. You see, you see the predicament that Peter's in? The only place he could turn when he failed was to the Lord because he couldn't walk on water on his own. And you and I can't walk by faith on our own. And Peter shows you and I how to handle failure in our walk of faith. It's as simple as this. Cry unto the Lord. Lord, I'm going to need your help again. Aren't you glad for 1 John 1 and verse number 9? That if we confess our sins, aren't you glad it doesn't say if we confess up to the hundredth time and then we're done? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I can go back to the Lord over and over and over and over again. The truth of the matter is, as you and I walk by faith, and even, even on, if, if the Lord, if you, if you have been crying unto the Lord, confirming in his word, and you're getting ready to carry out your part, and you're going to write a number on this piece of paper, sooner or later through this year, there's going to come something. You might not fail at it. You might follow through. You might walk by faith. But somewhere else in your walk of faith in this year to come, I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to be real with you, though. You're going to fall. It's not a matter of if. 
It's a matter of when. But you know what? You can always cry unto the Lord. And here's what I want you to see. And we're going to finish with, with this thought tonight and kind of three thoughts that go along with it. But back in our text in verse number 31, as we continue to look at, at the interaction with Peter and Jesus as Peter's walking by faith, I, I want you to see a seventh thing, a seventh thing from this text. And what I want you to see is that when Peter cried unto the Lord, there was a compassionate rescue. There was a compassionate rescue. Verse number 31, and immediately, man, I love that word. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now we'll look at that end of this verse at a later time if the Lord allows us. Really, we want to focus on the first part of the verse tonight. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and he caught him. I want you to notice three things about this compassionate rescue. Three things, and we'll be done tonight about the compassionate rescue. Number one, would you notice with me, it was timely. It was timely. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand. You ever hear that phrase? Hey, they made their bed. Let them lie in it. Let them taste their failure a little bit. We have this thought that if somebody fails, we've got to rub their nose in it. Let them learn a lesson. Now, I think that there are times where that is valuable, but I think that they're few and far between. I think as you're training up children in the way they should go, that sometimes it's valuable to teach them about failure and and about obedience and things like that. Our youngest children, Amanda and Caleb, uh, when they were young, they would have this habit of wandering away from us when we were in the shopping places in Canada. And we lived in a place that was kind of like Mayberry. They were pretty safe. And so we, we weren't really over-concerned with it, but we also wanted them to learn that you can't do that everywhere, and we're not always in this town where we are, and you need to stay close to us. And they had this habit of just kind of wandering off. And we would tell them, don't do it. Don't do it. Stay close. But they wouldn't. So one day, my wife and I and Amanda and Caleb, Janique and Ellie weren't around at all, and uh, Amanda and Caleb and, and, and Paul and I were in the mall, and, and Amanda and Caleb got distracted, and I think they went over into a toy store, and, and uh, I, I, I said to Paul, I said, okay, we're going to teach them a lesson. And I said, come on. And we went and hid behind one of those, those sign directories for the mall. And, you know, my, my wife, Paula, she's like, oh, we can't do this to them. <laughs> And I'm like, yes, we're going to do this to them. (laughs) We just stood there and watched. No, we were never very far away, and they never left our sight. But we, we sure hid ourselves so they couldn't see us. I will never forget the look on their faces when they looked at each other and realized, Mom and Dad aren't here. It was like, oh, and that's when Paula said, okay, can we go get them? And I said, no. No, it's got to sink in. 
And, you know, they're looking at each other, and you can see the panic growing in their eyes and in their faces and in their response. And now, Mom, Dad! And Paula says, now we can go. No, no, we're going to wait. And we let them wait. Well, I let them wait, and Paula, I almost had to put handcuffs on her. (laughs) But I wanted it to be unmistakable in their minds. You have failed, and you need to learn a valuable lesson. I think that's okay when you're raising a child in the way you should go. I think it was necessary for them so they could understand that when we told them something about being safe and being their mom and dad, they understood that there was a real need for that. I think that God does that sometimes. You remember Jonah? He was on the run for the will of God. From the very presence of God as he boarded a ship and went and headed to Joppa in Jonah 1 and verse number 3. And and, and the Lord uh, sent a great storm in the path of that ship that he got on. But before it was over, Jonah declared to the men of that ship that the storm was there because of him. and, And that they needed to throw him overboard because they could be saved that way. And that's what they did. But you and I know that the Lord prepared the first submarine taxi. To pick up a disobedient prophet. And Jonah spent three days and three nights in the Lord's underwater cruise ship. It was less than comfortable. I don't know how you picture Jonah in the belly of the whale, but I'm going to tell you the acid from the stomach, the putrefying smell, it was less than comfortable. And then the Lord said to that whale, hey, you're probably as sick of them as I am, so puke them up on the shore. But Jonah learned a valuable lesson in the belly of the whale. Because he had tried to flee from the presence of the Lord in Jonah 1. But in Jonah chapter 2, he learned you can't flee from the presence of the Lord. Because even in the belly of the whale, the Lord's going to know where you are. And he's going to deal with you. And the prophet on the run repents and is reconciled so that while he is waiting to go ashore in those three days, he learns a very valuable lesson. Jonah was never really in any grave danger. He was in exactly the place the Lord had prepared for him in the belly of the whale. You know, when Jonah said, throw me overboard, it wasn't like the Lord said, oh, no, what do I do? Let's, oh, there's a whale. Let's get him over here. That was part of God's eternal plan. So he was never in any really grave danger. Uh, and, and I think the Lord had to do that in Jonah's life to say, hey, listen, you're going to need to learn a lesson. And I think sometimes when people fail, you and I say, well, let them make their bed. They've made their bed. Let them sleep in it. And I think sometimes we withhold our aid from those who have fallen because we think, oh, well, we'll teach them a lesson. First of all, can I encourage you to let the Lord teach them a lesson? And you just extend grace. But we have a tendency to scorn those who make mistakes, and we want to make them squirm a little bit. We want to make them pay a little bit. But you know, it's always wrong to withhold help from somebody to make them squirm a little bit. And sometimes when you delay your help, it could be irreversible. 
The damage could be so bad that it, there may be no helping of them in the future. What if, what if Jesus said, you know, well, Pete, you made your bed, sleep in it. What if immediately he didn't stretch forth his hand? What if he just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to let you learn a lesson. What would we think of Jesus if he had done like we might have done and let Peter's head go fully under and then snatched him back up by his hair so he could get a good taste of the pain and, the, and, and just remember the situation? You think Peter was ever going to forget this either way? And beginning to sink, Peter cried, Lord, save me. Peter was sinking in that stormy sea when he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord immediately, in that very moment, immediately stretched forth his hand and he caught him. And as Peter fell in his walk of faith and he needed help, God said, I'm right here. Right here. Right now. There was no time to spare, spare, and it would be very much unlike Jesus to have made Peter squirm a little bit. It would be very uncharacteristic of what you and I know about Jesus to say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to let him get a good taste. I'm going to let him get a lung full of salt water. Jesus is never short on grace, and he's never stingy with mercy. And the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And to me, it's a great encouragement to know that, that when I call unto the Lord as I fail in my walk of faith, that I can cry unto him and immediately he'll give me the help I need. So there was a timely deliverance. It was a compassionate rescue. It was timely. Number two, it was tender. It was tender if you mark your Bible, you might mark in Matthew 14 and verse number 31 the words caught him. The words caught him are very different from snatched him, grabbed him. The word caught here is the idea of drawing somebody closer to yourself so as to support them. And what I want you to see is that the picture here is not that Jesus looked down and just snatched Peter out of the water, but that he took a hold of him and he drew, drew him closer to himself. And, and I can imagine, honestly, from the text, I can imagine Jesus putting his arm around Peter. I don't know if that's exactly how he did it, but I can imagine Jesus putting his arm around Peter. Draw, I know he drew him closer to himself. And Jesus did much more than just snatch Peter from the water. I don't know exactly how he did it, but I know that this idea of caught him has the idea of offering help so as to support, so as to secure and I don't know if he put his arm around Peter's shoulder and held him up that way, but I know it's a tender response. Jesus didn't just grab Peter by the hair and say, now there, stand up. 
But he pulled Peter back out of the water and he brought him real close to himself and he helped him stand. A compassionate rescue. It was tender. And Jesus, you know, he didn't need to reach his hand out at all. He didn't have to expend any physical energy whatsoever. Jesus could have just said, hey, Peter, stand up, and it would have been so. That's what he did with Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth! And a dead man walked out of the grave. He could have just spoke it. He didn't even have to speak it. He could have just willed it. But Jesus took the time to extend his arm and draw Peter closer to himself. And can I encourage you that when people fail in their walk of faith, sometimes they're going to need more than just a, hey, praying for you. Sometimes they're going to need you to come along and put your arm around them and say, hey, I'll walk with you for a bit. Every one of us needs a time when somebody comes along and encourages us, stretches out their arm. And from time to time, everybody needs somebody to come help hold them up. And I don't know about you, but it encourages me that Jesus loves me so much that when I fail in my walk of faith, I'm no different than Peter. And he didn't love Peter any more than he loves me. That if I call unto the Lord and cry unto him and say, Lord, save me, I can expect the Lord to say, hey, come here just a little bit closer. And when I need him to kind of just draw me in closer and help me and support me in my walk of faith, that I can count on the Lord to do that. I wonder who have you caught to yourself recently? Or when somebody walks and is walking by faith, are you just waiting for them to fail to say, I knew they'd never make it. I knew they'd never do it. I knew they would fall short. What have you caught closer to yourself? Number three, I'm done. Not only was this compassionate rescue timely, not only was it tender, it was total. It was total. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and he caught him and he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus didn't just pick Peter up and set him back on his feet and say, now you're on your own. But he caught him onto himself. And the text helps us to understand that Jesus really never let go of Peter until they got back to the boat. We have this idea that Jesus said, oh yeah, here, and you'll see a lot of pictures even of Jesus just kind of reaching down and Peter's hand reaching up. I don't think that's how it happened at all because I don't think Peter had any part of holding on to the Lord. But when Jesus drew him up and caught him and brought him closer to himself, there was a, a total rescue because they went back to the ship together. Jesus and Peter came back to the ship. And I picture him honestly with Jesus' arms still around, around Peter as they get back to the ship. 
the word come in that verse, when they were come back to the ship, is in the aorist tense. It's a punctiliar action. It's a, it's a snapshot in time. It's not a video clip. And so the grammar tells us that Jesus and Peter arrived at the ship and got in the ship together at the same time. And the text lends itself to the image of Jesus and Peter walking on the water back to the ship. Jesus somehow holding Peter near, supporting him, helping him walk all the way back. Did he have to? No, he could have just said, hey, Pete, walk. He could have said, you know what? You don't even need to get back to the ship. I told you I'd meet you on the other side. He could have transported him to the other side. But Peter needed to know, Jesus cares about me even right now. When I just failed in his very presence. And I'm trying to tell you that when, when, when Jesus comes to the rescue, it's total, it's complete, it's certain. Think about it. Peter walked on water again. He didn't walk on water once. He walked on water twice. The first time as he walked, it was successful. He was walking out by faith, and there was a successful walk of faith. But then he failed. And Satan and the world would say, he's done. But Jesus says, hey, you're going to walk on water again. You can walk by faith again. You don't have to stay knocked down. You don't have to throw in the towel. You can get up again. Not on your own. Not on your own. You're not walking on water by yourself. Lord, save me. Cry unto the Lord. Maybe, maybe you didn't make it through last year's faith promise giving. Maybe something happened. Your faith kind of, you, you took your eyes off the Lord and all of a sudden you saw the wind boisterous and all of a sudden you know you got fearful and thought, uh, you know, I, I knew going into this there was more month than money and now I'm sure of it and I, I can't follow through. Get up. Call on to the Lord. Hey, Lord, would you help me this year? Because I'd really like to make it all the way through the year. Lord, would you just kind of stay close because I'm going to need you to support me all year long. And I'm glad that when Peter cried unto the Lord, there was a compassionate rescue. And can I encourage you? If you're in your walk of faith and in a place in your walk of faith where maybe you recognize, I've fallen a little short. Maybe you're right now, you're, you're one of the ones that has still kind of fallen and deciding whether you're gonna get up or not. Can I encourage you? You can cry unto the Lord tonight. And can I encourage you? Immediately, Jesus will offer the exact help that you need. Exactly what you need, he will give you. Draw nigh unto the Lord, and he will draw nigh unto you. And maybe you just need to say, Lord, I need to get a little closer because I really need you a lot closer in my life. Because I can't walk this walk of faith alone. I can't walk on water by myself, and I can't walk by faith by myself. But if, Lord, you will walk with me, helping me, supporting me along the way, Lord, without you, I can't do anything. But through you, 
I can do all things. Our Father, we, we ask you tonight, we ask you tonight to take your word and, and that the Holy Spirit of God would still minister it to our hearts. We know your word will never return void. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people this evening. As pastor closes out the, the service for the invitation, that you will bring us to that point of decision that you want us to make tonight. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.